Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to The Laverne Cox Show, a production of Shondaland Audio, in partnership with iHeartRadio. You know, when you meet someone and you connect immediately? Yes. The stars truly had a line. As the door is closing, he's like, what do you mean you're going to come to see one of the shows? You are going to be in them. The doors closed and the train pulled off. And I was like, What? did that white man just say? (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Laverne Cox Show. I'm Laverne Cox. I think it's so important to know your history, your history, to know those who have come before you, who have paved a path for you to walk to know that history and to celebrate it, to honor it. Today will be a history lesson with the one and only Connie Fleming. The incomparable, the inimitable, AKA Connie Girl Fleming is a legend and icon of New York City nightlife. She is one of the original boy bar beauties. And if you do not know boy bar, check out our show notes. She is a runway model and has been photographed by Scovulo, Stephen Mizell, and others. She has walked the runways of Terry Mugler and Vivian Westwood. In fact, some of the most iconic runway walks ever she delivered to us in Terry Mugler shows in the early 1990s. And she has set the tone at some of New York's most exclusive nightclubs as one of the most discerning door persons in the history of New York City nightlife. In fact, she still calls herself the door bitch. <laughs> Please enjoy part one of my conversation with the legend, the icon, the one and only, Connie Fleming. Connie Fleming, welcome to the podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling well, trying to get over the door, bitch, seasonal cold from being outside. I have the sniffles, but they're kind of going away. Fingers crossed. I love that you call yourself door bitch. What doors (laughs) are you working now, Connie? At the Standard Labat and at uh, our sister next door, top of the Standard. 
gorgeous. So, okay. Oh, I have so much to talk about. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited. I'm nervous. You oh, icon, legend, just everything. Just so you know. So I am wearing, look at what I'm wearing. <gasps> <laughs> no, you are wearing that. I'm wearing this for the listeners. I'm wearing a blazer from Terry Mugler's first couture collection, fall 1992. That Connie Fleming, Connie herself, wore in the show. Merci, merci. Hers had lacing in the front. This particular piece actually can be seen in the Brooklyn exhibit of Mr. Mugler's work that's at the Brooklyn Museum right now. I just wanted to wear this in honor of you. I, I can't even, part of me can't even believe, like, I'm, I'm talking to you. I know I've known you for years, but I'm, I don't know. We've never really sat down and talked. No. And I'm so just honored to have this moment with you. I really am. Thank you. And thank you for all of your work. And also, before we get into it, I also want to thank you for coming to Cody's memorial and speaking. It was so important for the full canon of her life. Yes. You know, I initially wanted to start with 1992, but why, why don't we start with Cody? Okay. I got to know Cody when I was at Lucky Chang's. And for those listening, Cody Leon, Cody Ravioli, New York City legend, art school girls of doom on YouTube. Hello. For those people who, their YouTube videos. So on MTV back in the day, it, what was it called? Um, Liquid Television. Liquid I Television, think. yes. Eon Flux. In the early 90s, thing called Liquid Television. Do you want to tell the kids? Why don't you, you know... <laughs> Tell the kids. It was sort of like a, an extension of sort of that Simpsons mm -hmm. cartoons for adults. It was after midnight on MTV. It was called yes. Liquid Television. Yes. And part of Liquid Television was like a skit show called Art School Girls of Doom mm -hmm. with Cody, Leon, and Gina. What was Gina's last name? Gina Vitro. Now a veterinarian. Wow. Um, we were all three roommates together on 6th Street and Avenue B. Tell me, okay, so, okay, you, Gina, and Cody were all roommates. Yes. What year, roughly? Um, 90, 91. We all came together at Boy Bar, mm -hmm. and then we all sort of were, like, reaching out. We found each other, and we all transitioned together. I felt so lucky and so graced to be with three other women in this really difficult time because yeah. we would go out and if you found a therapist we would come back and tell the collective if mm -hmm. you found this we would come back and tell the collective and we all were there for each other pushed each other mm. gave each other grace in such a hard time and i am so thankful and what was hard for you? What was hard about that time transitioning um, 90, 91, 92? Everything. Employment, housing, getting the right therapy, not being busted and disgusted. We were there for each other. We sort of made sure that we didn't let the world pull us down because Gina and I were then working at the phone sex line. <laughs> we were 800 girls and we yes. worked the switchboard. I love it. And we found employment and then we sort of pushed each other. We 
pushed each other with our medications and finding a good endocrinologist. Back then, Dr. Rich was the doctor for a lot of the girls back mm-hmm. then. He was my first doctor in 1998. He was a plastic surgeon on the Upper West Side. Did you go to Dr. Rich or no? Was that? I went to Fleischman. Okay, I didn't know Fleischman. Okay. Was it on Central Park West in the 70s? Yes. Mm-hmm. So he took over for Dr. Fleischman because um, that's where I had my implants done. Ah. Because I went to him, I want to say maybe in 87, to do hormones. Mm-hmm. And I went on the wrong day at the wrong time. Ooh. And that was the other thing. Finding health care. Yes. You had to go on the right day. If the black nurse wasn't there or the Asian nurse wasn't there, turn around and leave. Wow. Well, my understanding with, with Dr. Rich at the time when I went in 98 is that the only time he saw the trans girls was on Wednesday. Yes. Same here. Yeah. You had to go on Wednesday. So I think like it was in the, the waiting room, girl. The waiting room was everything. <laughs> the stories that you would hear. Who I saw in that waiting room. Yes, girl. It was really everything. So access. And then back in the day, too, there were a lot of girls who would get. I mean, there was there was Ralph. I'm I'm, in the 90s. This is the 90s. Ralph. You know, Ralph. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the girls would get hormones from Ralph and just from random people who procured them from wherever. So we would kind of guess buy them on the street, you know? Yeah. The black market. And I remember International Crisis. Which is the International Crisis, the legendary icon. Yes trans woman performer who is a, one of Salvador Dali's muses, muses. who loves trans women. <laughs> and Crisis would have Romy Hogg get the German hormones. The German shots, girl. Yeah. And the call would go out and you had to get to Crisis's house at a certain time to get at least two boxes. So for those who don't know, the German hormones allegedly were you would be applaud. I don't know what other language you would be cut overnight with the German hormone. <laughs> now the menses would follow you. Screw pheromones. The menses would be after you on the street the minute the needle came out. They would be, "Hey, how you doing?" I never got the German hormones. Those German hormones turned the girls. And I think there was something about because there was girls in the nineties were so beautiful. And I'm wondering if there was the German those German shots that were like just turning the girls out. And it was the wild, wild west. And we were sort of left to our own devices to mm-hmm. find our own levels. But that collective of myself, Gina and Cody mm-hmm. We had doctors. I can't remember. Tina Wheeler was myself and Gina's therapist. But there mm-hmm. was another doctor that I found. How wonderful that you were going to therapy because a lot of the girls didn't go to therapy back then. It was a standard of care. And I can't remember the therapist's name. But you had to go through a certain time before the further steps of transition, whether yes. it be medical or whatever. And we went through everything. Mm. In her office, it was just towards the end that I was seeing her, and it was the end of our session, and she's like, oh, I have to get ready for the children. And I'm like, children? And this was like 92-ish, maybe, 93, 
And I think she was one of the first to start with children in therapy to Mm. set them on the road. Wow. People act like trans care for kids is something new, but she was doing it in 1993, 92. I was so taken aback. I fell into tears in the elevator going downstairs because Mm. I was like, have we come this far that we are going to allow a child that comes to you in all honesty and all sincerity that this is what is happening to me and I can voice it. It just took me out for weeks. I was like, oh my God, maybe the world will change a scintilla. And what if I had that when I was a child? Before we leave Cody, favorite Cody memory for you having known her, I just, I do want to take a moment. She's such an icon and I'm just so glad I got to know her. And people should know there's so many icons and legends that we don't know. Yes. Who we should know. Who shaped New York culture. Who just changed people's lives. I mean, and, and so much of trans and LGBTQ culture is oral traditions, right? And having that, that trans mother, having that that girlfriend who showed you the ropes or you went through it together, that kind of chosen family. So for those people who don't know Cody, go watch Our School Girls of Doom. But what would you want to say to people about who Cody was? Just her loving heart. Back when we were roommates, there was always this sort of melancholy about her. And then one day I was doing the door somewhere And she pulled up because she wanted to say hi. And this guy got out of the car. And I was like, it's her boyfriend. She's like, she's like, oh, hi, how are you? And I want to introduce you to my son. And I was like, oh, you're kind of like, and she's like, no, this is my biological son. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me? Just to clarify, before she transitioned, she had, I believe it was three sons with her like high school girlfriend or something. Yeah. Pressure from her parents to sort of be heteronormative. Right. Weeks later, we sat and we talked and she told me because we only knew little snippets here and there Mm -hmm. of what was happening. And she told me about how she went to Vegas to try to make a better life for the whole family, all of her, her kids, and their mom, mm-hmm. because she was a, a genius sort of Cindy Lauper impersonator, and she went to La Caja Ball, Vegas, blah, blah, built her career, built her name, yeah. and came back, and both families had shut her out mm. of the children's lives. Mm. And... We were talking, and then I turned to her and said, no matter what they did, that blood connection, they came and sought you out. And we looked at each other, and she was like, you know what? You're right. All of the things that happened after the separation kind of have to melt away, and we now have to reconnect. And heal wounds and become a family. 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's fast forward. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but 1992. Mm-hmm. 92, so I'm a Mugler-file and a bit of a historian, but um, 1982, as I said, was his first couture show. It was the year that the first fragrance, Angel, came out, and it was the year that Too Funky came out. Mm-hmm. And Too Funky is how I discovered Terry Mugler. I was obsessed with the video. And you were in the Too Funky video, but I did not know in the version that was on MTV and VH1, your face was not shown. Yes. The iconic beaded red cowboy chaps. I mean, iconic look. And I want to talk some more about that. But I didn't know. I didn't see your face. And then it wasn't until years later that I knew that that was you in the video. And I just kind of felt cheated, honestly, not. Knowing, I mean, 1992, I was in Indiana. I was in college. It was a year after I graduated from high school. And then I moved to New York in 1993. And I just felt like my life would have been so different if I had known that there was a black trans woman in George Michael's Too Funky video. I feel anger and sadness and a lot of things not knowing that. And years later, I saw uh, Mr. Mugler's director's cut. And you Mm -hmm. open that video and we see your face. And then, and then when I went to, when I was in Paris a year ago and I saw Mr. Mugler's show, I was, you know, so excited just to see the exhibit. And I was going through the exhibit looking for you. You know, I saw the pieces, but and I didn't, and I didn't see your face in that exhibit. Maybe I didn't see the, in one of the videos of, of the shows, maybe you were there, but I did not see you. And I was looking for you. I was looking for your face. And then I went and when it opened, the show opened in Brooklyn. I don't know if you know Casey Cadwallader, who's the Mugler creative director yes, now. I yes, said, yes. I said, to Casey, uh, I was like, where's Connie? <laughs> I said to Casey, where's Connie's face? Part of it is because we didn't see your face in George Michael's version of the video. And then you're like not in the in the exhibit. But in I want to know what your life was like at 91, 92. I mean, you've told us a little bit about like being in, in transition, but being in this huge video, but your face isn't shown, walking for Mugler in these these clothes. I mean, the clothes are so exquisite, the construction. The, sumptuous. Uh, sumptuous. Powerful. And, and, and powerful. And then the drama that you brought to the runway. Okay. <laughs> History. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. History. At the beginning of the second day when I got there, mm-hmm. George Michael comes. We were filming my part. And then the sort of clash of the Titans started to happen because Terry wanted the backstage bit and then for me to come out on the runway so mm-hmm. that you could see that pan up shot. Yes. Fight happens. So for those who don't know, a little bit of a backstory. They, the Too Funky video was a video that, that was done for charity for um, to raise money for AIDS research. And everyone was donating their time. And apparently they had gone over budget. It was already over a million dollars after the first yeah. day. And people uh-huh. were sort of freaking out. And George Michael was like, we're done. Mr. Mugler was like, we're not done. And then a fight happened, girl. <laughs> yeah. So this is why. And so this is the fight she's alluding to. Yes. Go on. And Terry wanted atmosphere and then to use the shot of me backstage as my face shot Mm -hmm. we go to lunch we come back terry is like directing all of the racks out and he was like okay we're leaving and we all turn to each other like wait what's what 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 and taking the clothes with us (laughs) yes (laughs) and 
then we're all gathering our stuff. And Linda and Vachelisa comes over and says, okay, are you going to stay or are you going to leave? So we were all like, okay, we're all going to leave. Linda went back, spoke with George. We all met in the middle. And we all started to talk and say, you know what? We are here for a larger cause. It was 92. People were still dropping like flies. We had all just come from funerals, all just come from hospital rooms, all Mm -hmm. just come from waves of death and despair. And we were trying to help. Yeah. And the both of them felt their better angels and we started again. My face Mm -hmm. shot, Terry wasn't going to give it up. He wanted it for his version. Yes. So he was committed to that. But for whatever reason, in George's version, he didn't. It just. He didn't have that face shot of me going to the runway. He just wanted that look to be shot that way and didn't get your face on the runway or. He wanted that pan up shot to be in shadow. And then I would lift my my face at the end. But we broke for lunch. So that shot wasn't taken. (laughs) And then the big Clash of the Titans happened. So it was because we broke for lunch. This is good to know. I'm feeling a little bit better about the erasure, but still not a lot better. I think what came out before that was the Soup Dragons. The Soup Dragons video came out and it was called Divine Thing. It was on heavy rotation. Were you in that video as well? Yes. I don't know this. Oh. I'm like maybe the second lead in that video and it's very Warhol studio factory vibe and old Times square before it was Disney fine. Okay. Work. That was on heavy rotation, but mm-hmm. there was an objection because I was in it that it could not play in the afternoon because I was trans and black. This is on MTV. On MTV. I, I don't, yeah. I'm like, I'm looking, I just looked at you in the video. It's like, who would even know? It was considered to be harmful for children. Like they would even know. That's what I'm, I'm like, you're walking and you're so chic. And you've got this pink and the headband work. <laughs> work, Connie, work. It became a hit record. So they had to play it off of prime time because it was being requested. Everybody loved it. So I think once Too Funky came out, I think that was also a thing that if you put my face in it, it might be hampering in when it can be played, how often it can be played. But my question is, we see Joey Arias and Lip Synca, their faces. So it's... it's Not trans. Let it sink in. Not trans. And by then, my sort of insistence on not being put into the drag category to make it easier for the look of the moment, flavor of the moment, and saying that I was trans gave me a reputation of being difficult. To insist that I'm I'm not a drag queen, I'm a trans woman. Yeah. 
gave you a difficult. This is important. This is what folks need to know. All the lovely young models who are modeling now, that this is what the girls went through. Yeah. So you can walk runways now. This is what the girls went through. After a tiny little break, we've got so much more for you. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Let's get back to it. So you were not only a trans model who was, you know, they didn't know and then they knew, but you're also a black model. Yes. And Terry loved black models. He always used black models and loved. Can you tell us how, how did you come to my model for Mr. Mugler? It was like at the end maybe 89, I had started to model for small designers in mm-hmm. downtown New York. And the community and crisis... International crisis, if you don't know her, Google her, get your life, the continue. Crisis was like, you know what? You are meant for this. You are meant for it. Even if you don't see it for yourself, even if you are so within your cocoon of growing up and being so tortured. I was afraid, I was apprehensive, I was black, and I was trans. Mm -hmm. You know, my predecessor was Terry Toy, blonde, white, and blue-eyed, and they gave her grace. Me, no. Yes. Terry Toy was a trans model who famously was Stephen Sprouse's muse, muse in the 80s. She modeled for several people, but. Um, Mugler, Chanel, Gautier. She went to Paris and she, like, pushed. Was openly trans the whole time. Yes. I think that's the difference because trans models have existed throughout history, but we haven't always been able to be openly trans. And so. Terry Toy really was a moment when a model was able to be open. Yes. And gave space and room for me. Because when I went to Paris, that was like, I was already halfway through my transition. And mm-hmm. I felt so good. I did not feel crazy. I did not feel unworthy. So why lie? Because they were there to tear you down anyway. So I'm not going to give this to you to tear me down. Yeah. So I'm on the dance floor at the Paradise Garage. And this French gentleman comes over and says, do you model? And it's like, yeah, I model for like, you know, 
downtown New York, blah, blah, very little things. He's like, well, if you are ever in Paris, look me up. He gave me his business card. My favorite song came on. Maybe Grace, Pull Up to the Bumper, or Yoko Ono, Walking on Thin Ice. It was one of those, and I lost my mind and ran to the dance floor that morning when I got home, afternoon, I should say, (laughs) because we did close the joint at like 11.30, 12. I could not find the card. Mm. So, you know Desmond Cadigan. Yes. Also a Terry Mugler model, Muse. We had met, and he was like, you really have to meet Terry. You really have to come to Paris. I told him about this guy, and he's like, well, what did he look like? It's like, he was French, dark hair, blah, blah. It's like, okay, give me a minute. (laughs) So a couple of months went by, and I worked with Danilo and Billy Beyond. And Mm. that was the debut of Billy Beyond's Paper Lashes. Wow. The Billy Beyond legendary makeup artist, Danilo, legendary hairstylist for those people listening. Legendary. Like, understand your history. Okay, go on. (laughs) So, (laughs) I took this wonderful picture. I can't remember the name of the photographer. And I think Danilo showed that to Terry. Mm -hmm. Cut to a couple of months later, and we are doing the first Suzanne Barsh love ball Mm. and I walk for body map so model for body map went downstairs and there was Terry Desmond and I think somebody else dragged me over this is Connie this is who we are talking about he was Mm. like oh now I get it (laughs) so a couple of months later they call and ask for pictures. And then a couple of months later, I was on the plane going to Paris. And this, I think, was your first show, 8990? 8990, fall, winter. Fall, winter. I'm trying to remember the look that you wore. It was a chartreuse, you know, those bell like uh, blazer dresses. Okay. First time, I was like, okay, I will. Walk as I think I should walk mm-hmm. in high fashion Paris. Yeah. I had three looks. First show, mm-hmm. I walk. I'm Munya. I am Katushka. I am all of my heroes. Mm-hmm. And I go backstage, break for lunch, come back. I have one outfit. I was like, oh, wait, what? First, I was disappointed, and then I was like, you know what? Screw them. Screw you all. And I went out there in my one outfit, and I did everything and walked backwards. And I walked backstage, and Terry is like, why didn't you do that in the first place? Mm. That's what we wanted from you. We wanted your energy, your Cleveland sort of kinetic energy. That's what we wanted. That's what everybody was telling me about you. And then you go and you do like what you think is the walk. He loved Pat and he, and Iman talks about it. It's almost, it was, it was like acting doing a Mugler show because the shows were so theatrical. And what I love about 
watching you walk in in different shows of his is that the walk was different every time because the look was different. It was still Connie, but you it was acting, it was performance, mm-hmm. it was it was drama, it was the, Norma it was Desmond. everything. Yes. Norma Desmond, Sunset Boulevard. You could not be swallowed because those looks could easily swallow you. Yes. Because you can see it on certain people where it swallows mm-hmm. them. You had to come out. You had to wear the clothes, the clothes not wearing you. Embody it and make it sing. Yeah. And you really did in such a beautiful way. And you walked for several seasons for Mr. Mugler. Um, I didn't know. I just discovered recently that you were also roommates with Mr. Pearl. And for yes. those who don't know, Mr. Pearl did all the course tree for Mr. Mugler. The story of how you ended up with the cowboy look. Can you just um, tell that story in the Too Funky video? What Connie's wearing is this red beaded cowboy look with chaps. It, it's just it's so iconic. It's on exhibit in Brooklyn Museum. It is one of the most iconic pieces of fashion history ever and she got to wear it can you tell us how that happened it's such a great story this was just before cody moved in Mm. pearl had just moved to new york had started to work with mugler and i think galliano and certain other people one of my trips to japan there was a moschino sale and i was always obsessed with that moschino collection of the cowboy it was sort of dallas Mm. And it was a beautiful cowboy hat. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the desert in New Mexico. I'm going to wear my cowboy hat. And I went to go shoot with Terry Mm -hmm. in New Mexico. So I get out of the trailer and Terry looks at me and you could see the light bulb turn on. So I get back to New York and Pearl had moved out and moved out. He went around the corner, basically. So... The message was to go over to Pearl's. So I go over to Pearl's and Pearl's like, okay, this is what you're going to wear. And I'm like, oh my God. Was it already in the making? Was it just a sketch at the time? What was when you... I think Pearl had a copy of the sketch. Okay. And it was supposed to be for Naomi, but Naomi couldn't do the fittings. Mm. Because I was waist training back then. Mm Mm-hmm you know, I could sort of take the pressure because they wanted it to be as close to 19, a 19-inch waist as possible. I think we got to maybe 23, 22, something like that. Wow. Because that's also another thing about Too Funky. I could not breathe. (laughs) The person who laced me up, laced me up from the top down. You're supposed to breathe shallow through the top of your chest, but I couldn't do that. So I was on all fours in between shots trying to keep my head up so that I wouldn't pass out. (laughs) Okay. So we're at the fittings. This is good stuff. I didn't know any of this. Thank (laughs) you for all these details. Girl, I'm living. I'm living. Okay. Go on. We're at the fittings and everybody chipped in who knew how to stitch. I mean, I even did a couple of the hearts that were on the brim of the hat. You did some of the beating yourself. Mm -hmm. And then there would be notes. Oh, take this off, make this, do that. Because that that was the other thing, the amazing thing about Mugler, the way things would grow and come together and flourish and blossom. Mm. 
because when you would go for fittings, you would see it like, what the hell is that? It's a cage. What are they going to do with that? And then by the end, the day before the show, it was beauty. I mean, I think people should understand how intricate this is. And also the level of innovation with fabrications of shaping and cutting. There's this wonderful gif from FIT where it's all of the pieces come together to make one of those wonderful blazers. And they're like a hundred pieces and they all like sort of come together in the cartoon and you have this wonderful blazer that is structured in a way that you can put it on and you feel muglerized and you yeah. feel powerful. You feel yeah. the care, research, and love for the craft. 20 pieces to come to make that one curve. But it's genius, though, the way it'll sit on the body. It's absolutely brilliant. I don't even know how a mind would think, let me do this. He's just a genius. It was him and the women in the atelier, those seamstresses, because that jacket, I went in for the fitting and they were like, and he's like, oh, let's put in shoulder pads. And they all turned around and said, no. Mm. Look at her in, in that jacket. She does not need shoulder pads. And the way the sort of design just came up like that. And mm. I remember, I remember them because it wasn't a real fitting unless you lost consciousness. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't a good season at Mugler if, if you did not pass the fuck out on the pedestal. Because the corsetry. It and was the, not and fashion. <laughs> I can't, I can't do that. So you waist trained for a while. How long did you do that? Because there's different things about waist training. Like, right, is it safe? Is it whatever? How long did you do that? Did you have to, were your organs rearranged? Did you have any negative health outcomes from it? Or um, you just... No, just a little bit of scarring. Okay. Which took a while and like a cocoa butter, you know, nightly. But mm -hmm. then Lauren, the wonderful Lauren Pine, who's also in Too Funky when they measure her waist mm -hmm. and they smack her with the measuring tape. Mm-hmm. She was more into it than any of us and would say, okay, you're getting scarring, get a silk wrap and wrap it first and then put on the corset. Mm -hmm. Get cellophane, wrap your waist and then, you know, wow. because I wanted to have that hourglass shape. Yes. And I'm sort of like, you know, mm -hmm. and the girls now have to thank the girls then for doing the hard work yes. of a Brazilian butt lift and a this and a that and the sucking and a pulling. Honey and I, I interviewed Honey Dijon last week, and we were talking about the, the before the Brazilian butt lift. Since the 60s, the trans girls were getting silicone yeah. everywhere. So Face, boobs, face, boobs hip, hips, thigh. booty. Yeah. You're welcome, Nicki Minaj. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's that time again. A lot more is coming, though. 
Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Without further ado, there's. I want to take it back to Boy Bar. Oh, I love the story of how you ended up at Boy Bar. But so Boy Bar was a legendary drag cabaret on St. Mark's Place from eight, I think eighty five to ninety five or something. Yeah, and you were one yeah. of the original Boy Bar beauties. Matthew Caston was the brainchild behind it, and it was the shows are just there's some some videos on YouTube, and they were just iconic shows, and the Boy Bar beauties were iconic. There's some Wigstock, the Boy Bar Beauties movie in Wigstock, I think in the Wigstock movie, just for people to have some references to go and look up. But talk to us about Boy Bar and what that experience was like. There's so many wonderful stories, but that's where you came out of your shell. Yes. I would not have made it to Paris and the Paris runways if it wasn't for Boy Bar. It rebuilt Mm -hmm. me. It rebuilt Mm -hmm. my, because I was in a shell. You were in Brooklyn. I mean, just a little yeah. bit. You were very bullied as a child. Yeah. Raised in Brooklyn and finally found your way to New York. Antique boutique, Glamour, started mm-hmm. going out. And then one day you you met Matthew and he said he was going to be starting. Yes. This, this, thing. this cabaret. And mm-hmm. we talked about fashion and everything. You know, when you meet someone and you connect immediately. Yes. That's what happened that night. The stars truly had a line. Mm. And the evening ended, and we were going to the subway. My train came first. And I said, congratulations. I want to come and see one of the shows, blah, blah, blah. And as the door is closing, he's like, what do you mean you're going to come to see one of the shows? You are going to be in them. The door's closed. And the train pulled off. And I was like, what did that white man just say? <laughs> and but you had not been performing. No, no. So you had not been performing. And what I what I know about you as a performer is like cartwheels and splits. And like, where did all that come from? <laughs> like, did you train as a dancer? Did you I mean, because you are you're a dancer. I am a child of the late, 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 late show. All of the golden era of Hollywood musicals, I watched intently because it was Mm -hmm. an escape from, you know, the beratement daily. And I sort of went into that world and could dream. And and I danced around the living room and was like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Mm -hmm. 
then started to watch the Share Show and Carol Burnett. And it was all of these sort of touchstones of comedy and dance and performing that was sort of inside of me. You absorbed all of them. Yes. You absorbed all of them. And then that first night at Boy Bar, Matthew pushes you out and then it just all comes out. Yeah. But he literally had to push me out on that stage. And then I Mm. hit the stage and the spotlights hit me in the eyes and I couldn't see anybody. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't see anybody. I can do anything. What did you just do in your living room? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it all came pouring out. Mm. A couple of months later, we were all famous below 14th Street. And I was like, wait, you know, it was just everything that I had loved that gave me joy and allowed me to continue on Mm -hmm. in such a violent kind of place. I could let it pour out and I could give it to an audience. And in that time, the audience really needed it because it was, you know, the the height of the plague. The AIDS crisis. And I think why also we connected was that it was live. We spoke to what was happening daily in the news, in the world, and we sort of sent it up and lampooned it and gave our audience some love, Mm. much-needed love. There's some videos of the old boy bar shows, and they were like so many different kinds of shows, but a lot of them were parodies. There would be voiceover of dialogue that you would lip sync to. There mm-hmm. were themes. There were crazy. I mean, I'm thinking space cunts. Is that was that something? <laughs> that that was the brainchild of David Darrymple, famous wonderful designer, Absolutely. and Mona Foot, our wonderful Mona Foot. That was mm, their brainchild. R.I.P. There was the 60s musical, and it, it starred International Crisis, Jesus Christ is Superstar. Yes, I heard about this one. There was the Frankenstein, Mrs. Frankenstein. David Glamour, I think, was Frankenstein, and I was the bride of Frankenstein. Beetlejuice had come out, and we had done this wonderful, beautiful show that was sort of set in the waiting room. Mm. When they die and they go to that waiting room, it was all set in that waiting room. The Leona Helmsley story, (laughs) when David was Leona Helmsley, it was just like incredible. I love that we're talking about the specifics of the show so that people can understand what, I mean, it's hard to quantify what it means when you're in the audience and you're experiencing culture being made. And I think what folks should understand about downtown East Village, New York in the 80s is that culture was being made there. That artist, major artist, Basquiat, um, Keith Haring, Madonna, Warhol, they were all... David Bowie. David oh, Bowie, they were all they were going to these clubs and getting inspiration. Klaus Nome. Mm-hmm. There was a performance art thing going on. I think of John Sex, you know, in Pyramid. And so there was this art thing going on that was intersecting with drag. Lady Bunny and Happy Face and Taboo at the Pyramid. And in the beginnings of Woodstock. 
Yeah. Yeah. All major culture, major culture that shifted people and brought community together. It was about community, but it was also culture being created that trickled up into higher culture, that trickled into museums. So when we talk about this boy bar moment, it's important to understand it in a cultural context of this is where people were going for inspiration, for fashion inspiration, for this is where the culture was made. Yeah. What is the biggest takeaway for you from the boy that boy bar era? It was such a special time, and Matthew wanted to take drag out of it being sort of second-class citizen in the entertainment lexicon mm. of that time. He wanted us to be polished, beautiful, and capable, capable of doing not just lip sync, but emceeing and singing and going out and making it a larger, a larger voice mm. in the world and was always so kind of protective of us because what was happening outside was catastrophic. And we got to you know, see our heroes before they passed, giving me a, a view onto transness and it not being so far away, not being behind the looking glass. We got to witness what the world was and to turn it on its ear. Mm -hmm. What I carry away from that is the importance of in-the-moment live performance. Mm -hmm. You are there, and you can connect, yeah. and you can exchange with a live mm -hmm. audience, that exchange of laughter or applause. Mm -hmm. When you're in that moment, and to share it with that audience that was so in need of relief and love, that's what I cherish the most about it. Oh my God. That was everything, right? That was everything. That gave me my full entire life. Thank you, Connie. It was so good that we had to make it a two-parter. There was so much information. So in just a few short days, part two of my conversation with the legend, the icon, Connie Fleming, will be dropping. In the meantime, be sure to check out all of our show notes. So throughout that conversation, I was like, Google this, check this out. We have links to almost everything I reference. Brooke, turned it. <laughs> Shout out to our producer, Brooke. Now, in the next half, we talk about Connie's life as a nightclub maven and an infamous New York City door person. We talk more about her runway career and working with the legend Vivian Westwood. We talk more of forgotten trans history, juicy behind-the-scenes details of the Paris runway with a certain supermodel. Girl, it's giving, it's tea, it's everything. And more, if you can believe it. Just walking and living history. I just, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you are getting your life as much as I am. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share with everyone you know. 
You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Laverne Cox. Or should I say Instagram and X at Laverne Cox and on Facebook at Laverne Cox for real. Until next time, stay in the love. The Laverne Cox Show is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.